Hey, everybody. I'm Jen Garrett. My passion for football and pushing boundaries has helped me to create a successful business using the same performance building principles of the world's best players. Through my Move the Ball book, workshops, and consulting work, I've used the same system to help thousands of people to think and execute like a pro athlete when it comes to business and branding. Now, I'm on a mission to help you utilize those tools and strategies to elevate your hustle and get you across the goal line. So get ready. It's time to suit up, to show up, and to move the ball. Hey, everyone. It's great to be back with you for another episode of Move the Ball. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've been a part of the Move the Ball movement for quite some time, welcome back. I'm glad that you are here with us today. As you all know, on this podcast, we talk about business, branding, sports, and of course, how to move the ball. A few things before we get into today's episode. If you have not already done so, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also make sure you're sharing the show with a few friends. It's one way that you can help me to move the ball. Lastly, you all know that we have the Move the Ball merchandise store. So it's out there. There is a link in the show notes. Be sure to go check all of that out. Get yourself some swag and rock that you're a part of the Move the Ball movement. Okay, for today's episode, I've got a wonderful guest with us inside the huddle today and ready to talk about his experience, his journey, and what he does to move the ball is Preston Brown. Preston, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here, Jane. I appreciate it. Well, I'm excited to have you here with us. Many of my episodes over the past two months have been primarily with guys who are currently playing in the league. And so I'm looking forward to our chat because we're going to have a different conversation. You've got a phenomenal story, which I'm excited to share with our listeners. And we're just going to get into some of the other more business and career focused topics as well around the world of sports. So I'm really looking forward to having you on. Let me just share a little bit about your background. For our listeners, Preston is currently the running backs coach for Temple University. He joined the program as the director of player personnel in the summer of 2021. Prior to that, Preston has served in numerous coaching capacities at the high school level where he has had incredible success. And I won't say more about that right now because we're definitely going to talk about that on the show. Preston also played college football at Tulane, and he's been around the sport for a long, long time as it has so much great stuff to share with us today. All right, Preston, are you ready to move the ball? Let's move it. All right. So first off, I mentioned you're at Temple. I'm just going to give a quick shout out to a few people who played at Temple and are either in the league now or who have been in the league previously. So first off, got to give a shout out to Nate Hairston. Nate was on the show about a month ago, maybe a little bit longer. He's currently a DB with the Minnesota Vikings. So shout out to Nate. His Vikings teammate, Harrison Hand, also DB, was a Temple alum. So shout out to Harrison, who was on the show way, way back in season one as part of my path to the draft series. And then another Temple guy, who was on the show back in season one and also made an appearance last season is Isaiah Wright. Zay played for Washington and he's now in the CFL. So shout out to all the Temple guys. They all are definitely moving the ball. All right. So Preston, you've been with the Temple football program for a couple of years. This is your first college coaching gig. What is it that you really like about being a member of the Temple Owl football program? Well, one of the first things I would love to give a shout out to Rod Carey, who was the previous head football coach who had given me an opportunity to transition my career from the high school level to the collegiate level. Unfortunately, you know, Rod was let go and I had a wonderful opportunity to meet Coach Stan Drayton and his family. Coach Drayton is a wonderful guy. He has a great platform and he really cares about developing the whole man. He has this vision of you know, seeing guys not just be 
the best they can be for a collegiate football program, but, you know, really transcending their lives into being, you know, absolutely phenomenal in everything. He has this mindset, our vision is chasing greatness. That's right in alignment with what I believe and what I've done. So I have the privilege to, you know, coach the running backs at Temple University, which is a privilege that I don't take lightly. However, you know, each one of us as coaches, we all are a part of the entire program's lives in terms of every player, every member of the university. Being from the Camden, New Jersey area, I have guys that I've coached in high school, whether it be seven on seven or my particular high school program that already was playing at Temple University prior to me coming there. So it's always been a connector in terms of a place where people love to go, right? It's more like a hometown team for us. Uh, If you look at the history of the program, a lot of South Jersey players and guys from Camden, New Jersey, has had opportunities to play at Temple. Sean Chandler, another Temple alum, I coached him in high school. Hassan Reddick, you know, a family member of mine who played there, playing for the Philadelphia Eagles now. Mm -hmm. And again, there are several guys on the program right now that I've known since they were like 12 or 13 years old. So to see growth and maturity in those guys and have an opportunity to be a part of that and really just continue to grow my career. Like I'm grateful for Coach Drayton and the opportunity that I have right now. For sure. And you talk about being able to see these players growth. I mean, as a coach, you are impacting in so many ways and you've been involved in a lot of these guys' lives since they were really young. And I think that's really cool to be able to see the evolution and the journey. I mean, even for me with this move the ball movement, I mean, a lot of my listeners know my story and then how I didn't grow up in football. And I was always a student of the game since I was four, but I didn't grow up in a football family. And so when I wrote my book, Move the Ball, I didn't know anybody that played college ball, knew no one that played pro ball. And so being able to grow my network and really connect with people in the sport over the last few years and seeing the evolution and the journey has been pretty incredible. But I love seeing that growth. And I know you do, too. Oh, yeah, man. Understanding that my role as a high school football coach over my time, it was always, hey, man, let's go ahead and get you graduated from high school. And let's go ahead and make you a productive citizen in this world, somewhere in a collegiate level. You know, all kids don't aspire to go and be college football players, but the mindset of being a great and productive citizen in this world was always at the forefront. Um, And we'll get into a lot of this like later on throughout the conversation or what I call the order of operations for, you know, student athletes that I connect with and why this is important because so many times in our culture, we highlight being the best athlete that you can be. But the one thing that we know that's certain and it's very true is that it doesn't matter what sport you play, right? Football, the air is going to come out of that ball someday and you're never going to play again. Right. But nobody prepares for that moment. Everybody's afraid to talk about that moment because athletes are young, right? And everybody thinks that they're going to play for a hundred years, right? It's almost never going to happen. I can guarantee that the air is coming out of that ball, whether it's a basketball or football, you know, you're going to hang the track spikes up someday, Mm -hmm. but you're going to have to do something else in this world that you're going to have to live through and do for a lot longer. So I think this move the ball podcast is something that's amazing because it talks about how you use what you learn and your days as an athlete or student athlete and all the things that come with it to do something greater, right? Serving a greater purpose than yourself for a longer period of time. 
Well, I appreciate your kind words and your support for the podcast. And yeah, it's something that I've always been very passionate about is helping athletes to look for what's beyond football or beyond, you know, the basketball or whatever the sport is. And so I've been doing a lot of work recently with student athletes and collegiate football programs and other sports on how do you position your brand so that you can attract the opportunities that you want so that you're thinking about what's next, no matter if you go to the NFL or you go straight out of college to the workforce, like you've done the things that you should be doing while you're in school and thinking through who should I be connecting with? Who should I be networking with? What kind of conversation should I be having so that when I'm done with those cleats, then I'm ready to go and I'm not struggling like you see people have done, you know, for the last couple of decades, struggling to find their identity after their sport is over. And I'm curious as to your perspective. And I feel like more athletes understand that this is going to be done sooner than later. So I need to be prepared and think about what am I going to do beyond the game? Do you see that with the people that you work with? Or do you see that you have to do a lot of coaching and influencing to get them to that mindset? It's always an ongoing thing that you have to talk about, right? Because for some people who are really, really good at the sport, right? We don't control that timeline when your day is up. We think we do because We give everything we got towards the game, right? Mm -hmm. But if I'm a player, right, how many All-American or All-Conference players who never missed a game in college and did everything that they could don't get drafted, right? Right. Or find that free agent deal and then they get cut and they never, ever play again. Mm -hmm. Nobody talks about that moment, that time, right, how to prepare for it. So if I just talk about how I, I connect with my players currently, right, we're like, there's no plan B, right? It's all, it's just the plan, right? So as we orchestrate this plan, right? If you're an advertising major, right? And you play for me, hey, listen, I want you to give everything that you have towards trying to be the best player that you want to be, but we're going to build your advertising brand simultaneous to that, right? Yes. Because the playing season lasts only but so long, right? Who says that you can't work in the advertising field while simultaneously playing professional football or basketball or baseball, right? Mm -hmm. So that everybody believes the way that I did, right? Hey, I'm going to play as long as I can. And as soon as I stop, I'll start a career. But that's not usually how it works, right? Because I go back to being an entry-level worker, right? I can be entry-level working in advertising, marketing, psychology, Mm -hmm. student teaching, whatever it is, right? And still be a professional athlete at the same time. And could you imagine how those two worlds will cross over, right? Imagine an NFL player who wants to be a school teacher someday that in their non-playing season, they go back to their high school or middle school and be a substitute teacher and really give back to some young people, right? And then become a certified teacher at some point. Mm -hmm. That would be amazing, not only for the community, but for the young people. Great points. And, you know, something that you mentioned and that I was thinking about is the identity. A lot of them don't like football has consumed their life or whatever sport it is that they're just they spend so much time training for playing for that. They don't know what else that they want to do or what they can do or what it interests them because they're so consumed with that sport. And so when they can identify what do I want to do beyond the game and just, you know, build that into your playbook. That doesn't mean that you're going to shortchange your playing career. You're still giving it all you've got, but you're also figuring out how can I add these other 
other elements into my week, my month, when I'm in the off season, whatever, to continue to build those skills. You made me think about, uh, since you're running backs coach, you'll appreciate this, uh, Naheem Hines running back for uh, the Indianapolis Colts. He went to NC State. Um, he did an internship at Bojangles when he was uh, in his off season. I mean, he's thinking about, and I know Naheem, he's a great guy and he's always thinking about other things too. And so, I mean, those are the ones that are going to do well because they're not just thinking about football. And while football is great and, and they love it and it's something you're excited about, to your point, it's not going to last forever. No, your connection to it, your love for it, it's always going to be there. It's never going to go away. But you have to just think about it, right? And this is the thing I speak to parents and young student athletes and recruiting, right? When I ask them, hey, I ask the same question all, all the time, right? You'll be surprised by this. Hey, how many people out there want to make as much money as they possibly can in this world? Everybody raises their hand. Okay, what's the difference between how much you make and how much you take? Everybody looks at me like, well, what do you mean? What's the difference between gross pay and net pay? And most kids who are like 18, 19, and 20 years old who've never had a job before have no idea what those two terms are. They think that this is a trick question. Mm-hmm. And this is young men and young women. When I worked at the high school as a dean of students, I would ask kids this all their kids who had jobs at the local grocery stores and whatever, right? But because they were told they make $12 an hour and they get a paycheck every other Friday, they had no idea what's the difference between gross pay and net pay. And I think that is a huge issue for people that say, I want to go and make as much money as possible, right? They don't know what independent contractors are. And so you have to teach these skills ongoing constantly over and over because making it to the league in your respective sport is one thing. Maintaining your status and continuing to play in the league is another. Now, while you were at Tulane, you mentioned playing wide receiver. You were a two-time team captain. And so, I mean, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with being a captain. You're in a position of influence, right? What were some of the things that you've taken away from being a team captain that you feel have helped you as you transitioned into ultimately coaching? And we're going to get to your coaching at the high school level here in just a sec. Well, one of the things about during the time of the Chris Selfo to be a captain, the team voted on who they wanted to represent them as a captain. So the previous two years, I was not a starter and I didn't play a significant role, offense or anything. You know, I was primarily a special teams player for my first two years. And as we transitioned in 2005, well, during Hurricane Katrina, that during that season, the entire team voted me as team captain. I was the first person under Coach Selfo's coaching tenure to have a unanimous vote by every member of the team. And so that was something that I didn't take lightly. I mean, I mean, you got to understand, I was a high school All-American that came to a school that there was nobody on the team from New Jersey. There was nobody north of Georgia on the team when I played. So I was representing for an entire coast almost, right? An entire place that they didn't think that people from New Jersey were good enough players all the players on the team on the South. So I had to really work my tail off constantly. But I told myself on the day that I got there that I was going to be the leader of the team, right? That's the only thing I knew in my head. Every team I've ever played, ever played on my entire life, I became the captain at some point, right? So that was my only mindset, right? And I had to lead by actions, whether that was developing in the weight room, doing community service, right? And again, I didn't know that all my teammates were going to vote me as captain, but I was going to do everything I could 
to prove that I could be the representative that the team needed and wanted. So in that same regard, I didn't take that lightly at all. I made sure that I was accountable to all the incoming freshmen each and every year. I mean, that year, the class that came in, the 05 signing class, we all slept in a classroom at Jackson State's gymnasium when the storm hit and we moved there. I mean, Coach Selfo said, hey, Diddy, I need you to be with all those freshmen. Those dudes never been on campus. And so, like, I slept in a chair similar to the one I'm sitting in now, and then all the power gets knocked out in Jackson. Right. And there are these 17, 18 year old kids like freaking out, going bananas, wanting to go home, wanting to quit. And I believe that I was pretty instrumental in making sure a lot of guys stayed and continued going on by just sharing my story and my upbringing in Camden and living from place to place and having, you know, difficult environments, not having lights at all for significant periods of time. I think that helped a lot of guys. And I shared that story with the entire team uh, when we were in a hotel in Dallas because I didn't have anywhere to go. Most of the guys were trying to just get the season canceled and then we just come back in the spring and start again. But I'm like, I don't have a place to go. I don't have anywhere to live. Right? I can't go back to Camden empty-handed. That was not an option for me. And so to take the only thing that I knew football away I, I there was there was no means of survival for me right there's no opportunity for me to have a job you know I was not yet ready to graduate college and all those things so I explained that to the entire team with tears in my eyes and everything and you know coach Selfell talks about it in the book he wrote uh, fourth in New Orleans in chapter eight about my leadership in terms of keeping the team together I mean there were guys who were fifth year seniors that voted me as the team captain during that season, like over themselves. And they were like captains from the previous season. Sure. And, you know, something that I like that you mentioned when it comes to leadership, I mean, you were very vulnerable and authentic in sharing with your teammates, you know, how you didn't have another option. I think that's important as leaders that we always remember that you want to connect with the people that you're influencing. And by sharing your struggles and and your vulnerabilities, that allows you to build deeper connections than just sharing things when, when, when everything's a success. Right. And so I applaud you. I applaud people that have the courage to put themselves out there. And when you do that, you're going to make a bigger impact, a bigger influence, and people are going to want to stick with you because they can connect and they can understand who you are as a person. It's not just about football. It's about you as a human being. Absolutely. I mean, that's probably one of the toughest things with being a leader is identifying your weaknesses and like really being vulnerable, right? Because Mm -hmm. sometimes people can take advantage of that weakness, right? People can try and, you know, manipulate your vulnerabilities, and promote it in such a way that brings out a negative connotation about things. And so sometimes people are very careful, right? I believe I'm very meticulous in how I communicate with people, especially young people, because they're very impressionable, right? So you want to make sure you can articulate your point very well, right? And really have them understand where it's coming from. Because If not, a lot of things can get misconstrued and that information can be said in other places. It's kind of like when you pass the message along or whatever, by the time it gets to the third or fourth person, 
you know, that information is not clear and concise as if it was originally delivered. So, right. So let's talk about you going to coach at Camden High School. You were there from 2012 to 2014. During your time there, the team went undefeated for two straight years. You had 14 first team All-State players there. What was your coaching experience like? And just talk about that journey. That was a very interesting journey because Camden High is the rival school to the school that I actually attended and went to at Woodrow Wilson in Camden. So Camden being the place of only nine square miles, people who were alumni that I play, I mean, we grow up in our side of town disliking Camden High and everything they do sports related. So Dwayne Savage, who coached me in high school, he had got the job there and he called me and he said, hey man, you know, you could come coach with me over here. I'll let you coach the wide receivers. And so I was like, all right, man, cool. I didn't really know that I wanted to get into coaching, but I was training kids. So I said, all right, I'm going to give it a shot. My older brother, Malik, he joined as well. And I only know one way, right? And that's to give everything that I have. So I said, hey, I'm going to do this. Or I'm going to give these kids everything I have. And I talked to kids. Sean Chandler was one of those kids, right? Great Temple alum, single-digit player at Temple. But he was a kid that when I met him and during this process I said hey our job here is to make you guys the best ever like when the conversation is done when they talk about sports here they're going to talk about your names as the best ever and I only wanted to coach kids who wanted that mindset who wanted to do that and everybody didn't want that right there are guys on that team who were more talented that quit and didn't stick around. And so those two regular seasons, that first year we went five and five. Those next two years, I mean, we put up all kinds of numbers offensively. The quarterback at the time, I mean, he was only about five, eight, five, nine. He's one of the best quarterbacks the state of New Jersey's ever seen, ever had. You know, I wish his trajectory, his life would have been different afterwards, but he gave it his all. He played his behind off there. And from that point, I mean, those two undefeated regular seasons, I mean, we lost in the playoffs both of those years, but it doesn't take away from the things that they have done. First off, I just want to say shout out to all those guys that definitely moved the ball. And, you know, whether you continue to play football professionally or not, I mean, just the accomplishments that they've had um, through your, your influence and guidance. I mean, you should be pretty proud to see them being successful people in football or other things in life. I'm extremely proud of those guys. Some of them have their own businesses, you know, small trucking companies. We have some guys who are police officers, um, firemen, all those different things, right? And that's important, right, to give back to the community in that way, right? The community grows because you keep watering the seeds within the community so that the connection, as the young people come up, they can see a visual of what they can aspire to become, right? The mayor of the city of Camden was a big time All-American basketball player from Camden that played basketball at Temple, you know, big car starfin. And now he's the mayor, right? Mm -hmm. He was coaching high school basketball. He and I was coaching against each other just a few years back. But now he's the mayor of the city, right? That's amazing. <laughs> That's what you want. You want the influence from within the community continue to grow and build so that young people can say, hey, this guy was a former All-American basketball player that didn't play professional basketball, but now he's the mayor of the city that he came from. It's great. 
For sure. And we talked earlier in the show about the evolution and the growth of people. And so it's good for people to see the evolution and growth of others because it gives them hope, it inspires them, it keeps them wanting to push and continue to move forward. And they can see the possibilities of where they can go in their career as well. Absolutely. So let's talk about you being the head coach at Woodrow Wilson High School. So you were there from 2015 to 2020, obviously had great success during your time there, led the team to state championships both in 2018 and 2019. Talk to us about what is it like to be the head coach of such a successful program and what were you doing to really help ensure the team's success? The three years that I was at Camden High, those same three years, Woodrow Wilson had only won six games. Mm -hmm. Right. Former NFL player Thomas Tepe was the head coach at the time. It was at the end of that third year. I think we lost in the semifinals or the playoffs. We didn't advance to the championship, even though we were the number one seed. The athletic director who's currently there now, Will Hickson, he gave me a call and he said, hey, man, we're going to move in a different direction. I wanted to know if you had any interest on coming over and being the head football coach. So I talked to my wife and I said, hey, listen, I need to know how you feel about this because uh, it's going to be a huge commitment. It's going to be a huge demand. It's a strain. I'm going to be the head guy. You know, everything is going to fall <laughs> or rise on my shoulders, on my head. And then she was like, I know how much you love this and you want this opportunity. So it was her blessing that gave me the nod to go ahead and really say, all right, I'm going to go ahead and do this. But I told everybody at the time that I don't think like everybody, I'm not looking to be a good program or an average program. I'm looking to do what the world says can't be done, right? They always say that inner city kids have all the talent, but they can't win championships, right? I, I told everyone, we're going to break that curse, right? You can only play here if you want to be the absolute best, win championships, and we're going to break records doing it, right? And everybody thought I was crazy. They thought I was insane, like, like, hey, man, are you serious, bro? Like, we'll give you three or four years to make the playoffs. And if you do that, like, that's good enough. And I'm like, you guys don't understand what I mean here. Like, that does not exist in the way that I think, right? And so I played at Wilson, and we won the 2001 state championship, right? We were the only team in school history to do that under my coach, Mike McBride. And so I talked to him prior to, and I was like, why did you always tell us from the first day that we were going to be champions. And he was like, well, you know, you got to find something that you can believe in. And if people can believe in a negative thing, then you can just trick their minds to go to a different layer of positivity. So I said, sorry. So they call me P great. That's always been my thing, right? Greatness or nothing at all is the standard, the motto, the philosophy. And that's what we live by, right? Anybody that played for me, if you ask them, hey, man, what's the standard? Greatness or nothing at all. There's no world that lives in between, right? And we have to be great at everything that we do. So that first team meeting, there were guys who were starters on previous teams at Woodrow Wilson that did not want to be great. They wanted to have stats, and they didn't care whether they won or lost. Those kids could not play for me. Those parents were not comfortable with the parent meeting that we had that first year because I was not going to bend on that, right? I say, hey, in Camden, young black people, young Hispanic men, right, they're getting incarcerated, dropping out of school and dying at a faster rate than they're graduating high school and going off to college. I said, we're going to change that. The first way we're going to change it is 
great student was first, right? You have to be a great student. So the commitment to academic excellence was the number one thing. If guys were not going to be committed to that, they were not going to play, right? And that was a week-to-week thing. If guys didn't do schoolwork, I didn't play. You didn't dress. You didn't play. I didn't care how good you were. And I was willing to lose every single game than bend on guys being great students. Some kids didn't make it. They quit. But the guys that love football and said they did, oh, you had to do student first, right? And on top of that, we took up their time in the community because we did community service. It was mandatory, right? So we just created all kinds of ways to connect with, with the community. We did, a, we did a community policing project where the local police would come in and we made a connection with them. We would talk to them, right? Because everybody had this idea that, oh, man, you talk to the police, you're a rat, you're this and that, right? But I'm like, well, the police are normal people too. They're common people too, right? And one of the funniest things about policing that I remember watching The Wire years ago is that when Bodie and the young guys went to the movies, they saw the cops who usually harass them every day with their dates at the movies. And they had this thing like, wow, cops go to movies? (laughs) (laughs) You know, in that same light, people in urban communities like that, they see police one way. And the dealings that our kids had with police, they were all negative dealings, right? Harassment, maybe they're out too late the approach to kids, you know, everything that TV tells you, it shows like negative things. And so I wanted to kind of get away from that, right? So we did everything. There was yards to be cleaned up, parks to be cleaned. We were a part of that, right? If there was 5K runs to be had for community service, we did those things because I wanted our kids to connect with other entities so that they can remove the stress from themselves and see how the world operates, right? See what goes on in the minds and the world of other people, right? Some kids say they want to be lawyers. Okay, we'll connect you with a lawyer. You sit at a law office for seven hours, see what happens there and see if you still want to be a lawyer, right? (laughs) Have them connect in other ways, you know, South Jersey Food Bank, anything that the school did for community service-wise, we were a part of it. We did it, we initiated it, we started it and we didn't care who did it or who did not. And then lastly, you could be a great player, right? But you couldn't be a great player first and skip those other two steps or you couldn't play for me. I would not allow it, right? And there are some guys who tried to slip through the cracks and they had tough situations at home, but that was never an excuse. We never bent on that. And I truly believe that that saved a lot of guys, And during my time, we buried some players because they did not follow the order, right? Mm -hmm. And that is probably one of the hardest things to accept as my time as a coach is that there are some guys who got lost in the shuffle, got lost in the cracks. And as we started having success, I didn't want more kids to be like that. I didn't want more kids to scapegoat themselves through and couldn't really pay attention to everybody. So you certainly set a great culture and a standard that not everybody is going to be on board with. And so that weeds out, you know, the people that are truly committed from the program to the others. And obviously the performance on the field showed that you had the talent and the elite of the elite that really wanted to stick with you and, you know, put in the work every single day, whether that was on the football field, in the community, uh, in the classroom, the whole 
package. And so you actually also had an NFL film segment done on your journey. Talk to us about what was that experience like being featured through NFL films? I think that experience was a reason behind how things got started. So my defensive coordinator, Brandon Bather, he worked for NFL films and he's from Nashville, Tennessee. So he and I, uh, we share a common bond through our fraternity. So he came to New Jersey to intern for NFL films. I met him. I was playing like co-ed flag football. He was a referee. So we kind of connected at that point. He wanted to get into coaching. So I put him on my staff and he had never seen anything like Camden in terms of like how the environment was, like the kids. He's like, man, we got somebody needs to capture this, man. We need to get this on footage, man. Like, you know, this thing right here is, it's like, man, these kids' stories are incredible. Like, everything that you, we got to go through over here, you know, we got to cook the food, coach the games, <laughs> you know, then clean up and feed the guys the games. I mean, I never had to experience that. So the producer, Andrew Weiner, I just happened to be a Jimmy John's buying a sandwich. And, like, this guy is standing at the counter staring me directly in my face. And in my head, I'm thinking, I don't know this dude, but he's staring at me and I'm trying to pay for this sandwich. And he, out of nowhere, he says, hey, I know you. You're Preston Brown. You coach at Woodrow Wilson. So I like look to my left and look to my right. And I'm like, this is really weird. I have no idea who you are, <laughs> but nice to meet you. Right. He's like, you know, I work with Brandon. I'm at films. And, you know, I love to, uh, you know, just kind of talk to you a little bit. If you got some time, I was like, well, I really don't have time. And I wasn't trying to sit here. To eat this sandwich but since we're here we might as well talk talk for like 30 minutes 40 minutes he said listen i need to get you in the studio and we need to capture this story for our audience like bar none so this was the spring before covid hit so the original plan for what they were trying to do is they interviewed me did a little pilot and they were trying to make it into a netflix five or six series sort of documentary obviously COVID hit they didn't know who was going to have a season however they said the story is too good to not capture so at the very least we're going to do an NFL Films present story they had no idea it was going to grow and be as big as it was and so I'm forever grateful that they came and they captured a piece of the story that's just one snippet of the story I mean one small piece of it there's a lot of things that will come out over time just about that segment of my life and story. And, you know, currently trying to put some things together to, to write a book to kind of capture my life story, the parallels between me and my siblings growing up together. But we all kind of have six different ways that we saw life during those times. Um, but the NFL Films documentary was something that really shed some light on what our kids experience on an everyday basis. Back in 2016, the BBC also did a, a documentary on me and the team after we kneeled for the national anthem, kind of like a peaceful protest. So that was an international article or piece that went out that a lot of people kind of you know, talked about me. And it wasn't all positive. I mean, people were saying all kind of stuff to myself and players on our team, and, you know, making a lot of negative comments, but it opened our kids' eyes up to what people truly believe and think if you go against what is believed as a status quo. 
And you bring up an interesting point too. I mean, so how your players got to see the power of social media, the positives and then the negatives, right? And so it's definitely an interesting time that we have being able to leverage the platform and technology to promote brands and to highlight stories and great things. But there's also the flip side of that as well, which can be you know, when you're a public figure, you're, you're in the public light, there can also be some negatives and, and noise that you have to like tune out and just stay locked in on what you're doing so that you can move the ball. And so I, I think it's great that you've been able to impact and influence the programs you've been a part of, and you've had some documentaries to capture what you've done as well. And uh, we'll be sure to have uh, some links of those things in the show notes so people can check them out that aren't not familiar with the NFL Films Presents piece or the National Anthem piece either. So Preston, what I want to do now to close the show is run you through my two-minute drill and ask you some fun questions. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. First question is, when you were 10 years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? I didn't know if I really wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer. I just wanted to be somebody who was famous. Gotcha. Well, I think you've hit that part. Just a different (laughs) route. Next question is, what three words would you use to describe yourself? Methodical, generous, and prosperous. Great three words. What is one thing most people don't know about you? That I cannot swim. Oh, interesting. Okay. (laughs) If you had one intro song played at all of your public appearances, what would that one song be? Jay-Z, Song Cry. I'd say that's my number one all-time favorite song. Okay. What book are you currently reading or what podcast are you currently listening to? I listen to two podcasts in particular, offense, defense, and just listening to coaches around college and professional football talk about scheme and things like that. And uh, currently I am rereading The Warmth of Other Sons. Oh, interesting. Okay. Next question is you're hosting a dinner party and you can invite three famous people living or deceased. Who would you choose and why? I would choose Jesus Christ, the prophet Muhammad and Muhammad Gandhi. Okay. Three great choices. People probably don't notice either, but I grew up in a split religious family with Muslims and Christians. So I would want to hear a conversation between the prophet Muhammad and Jesus the Christ. And I think Muhammad Gandhi was uh, just somebody who was very influential and being peaceful, but he influenced so many lives. And during his time, he had to deal with all those split religious people in India. And he brought so many people together. So that would be an interesting dinner to hear all those different minds communicating and talking all at once. For sure, that would definitely be an insightful and interesting conversation. All right, my next question is, do you sing in the shower? I do not. (laughs) Okay, gotcha. And lastly, let people know, where can they follow you? Where are you at on social media? I am on Twitter, at pgrade81, Instagram, at pgrade81. I'm on Facebook, Preston Brown. Uh, I do not have a TikTok, but I have been influenced by my children. My daughter is 16. She tells me I need to get a TikTok because she thinks my social media will pop even more. 
<laughs> well, it's interesting you bring that up because, you know, on the show, we talk about business and we talk about brands. And so you have a brand, I have a brand. And so I actually recently just got on TikTok. And so I have not been doing it for a long, long time. And I was like, no, what am I going to put on there? I don't dance. I don't, I'm not, I don't film myself doing those things. And I'm certainly not going to put that out there for others to see. But <laughs> what I started doing, I've been on the road for the last couple months and I've been on the field working out with guys. And so I've been capturing film. And so I'm like, you know, I have all this content. Content, why not use that content to continue to further the brand and the movement? And so I just started that here just a few days ago. So right. I'm excited to kind of see how this platform and I'm learning about, you know, different things, different apps on splicing content and stuff. So think a new area for me, but I'm really excited to kind of see where my brand and the movement will go leveraging the TikTok platform. Okay, that's great. That's great. Yes. So when you're on it, you'll have to let me me know for sure. (laughs) No doubt. Well, so we will put your uh, social links in the show notes so people can follow you. For those that are interested in seeing my TikTok, my uh, link is there too. And uh, look forward to uh, continuing to see you on your journey, Preston. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thanks to everyone for listening to today's episode. Once again, if you have not already done so, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a future episode and go back and check out some of the past ones as well. And lastly, share the episode with a friend or two or three. It's one way that you can help me to move the ball. All right, thanks again for listening. We will catch you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball in your business, with your brand, or your career, check out my website at www.getinsidethehuddle.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.